While the words sound very similar, it turns out that being an apologist for something is very different than apologizing for it. In this episode, I'd like to discuss that. Stay tuned. Hello friends, Pastor Tim Westermeyer here, Senior Pastor of St. Philip the Deacon in the western suburbs of Minneapolis. Good to be with you as always. Um, I want to begin today's episode with a question I got from someone uh, recently uh, about something I said in one of these episodes. I don't honestly remember which episode it was. It may have involved uh, G.K. Chesterton or C.S. Lewis, some of my favorites, and I referred to perhaps one of them or someone else as an apologist for the Christian faith. And the question was, what does an apologist mean? Because it sounds like it's someone who's uh, being defensive or apologizing for something in a negative sense. And so uh, I want to just first answer that question and say that that word apologist comes from a Greek word apologia, uh, which means to make a defense for or to give an account for. So it's not a negative thing at all. It's a, it's a sort of positive sense of, I want to explain why I believe something. Um, and maybe most famously in the Bible, that very word is the Greek word. This is, I'm looking at 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15, uh, which you may know this verse. It's, it's quite famous. It says, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting of the hope that is in you. So that uh, make your defense is, again, give an account of, make a defense of, comes from that word apologia uh, in the Greek. So think of it as a positive thing, not a negative thing, despite the fact that in English today, when we say I'm going to apologize for something, it usually means, oh, I did something wrong and I have to sort of set it right. I hope that makes sense. Now, having uh, made that hopefully somewhat clear, I'm going to go straight to the heart of what is probably the biggest question people have about uh, not just Christianity, but whether there is a God. And in, in all seriousness, over this past weekend, this was a holiday weekend here in, in America, it was Thanksgiving weekend, where we celebrated Thanksgiving on Thursday and therefore it was a long weekend, it doesn't matter. Anyway, someone in my family asked me, you know, the, the million dollar question, why do bad things happen to good people? Or another way of saying it is, why is there evil in the world? And I will tell you, in terms of this idea of being apologists for the faith, defending the faith, explaining the faith, that is the central question uh, that we have to contend with, I would say. That's number one on the list of people who want to challenge Christianity or say, well, I don't believe there's a God. So in this episode, I want to just lift up four. This is not going to be uh, exhaustive or comprehensive. It's going to give you four potentially hooks to think of ways to talk about that. And certainly, this is a topic we could come back to. I would welcome your reactions or thoughts about this, whether those are sort of affirming or whether you want to challenge me on this. Either way, uh, again, it's a big topic. But let me give you quickly four ways to think about that that might serve as at least the beginning of a conversation with someone who has that question. And I'll remind you, by the way, that, path, or that line I just read from First Peter, Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet, verse 16, do it with gentleness and reverence. Right? We never want to use 
uh, arguments, uh, whether biblical or other kind of arguments to attack people or to beat people up. We always want to listen to what people are saying and respond to the degree that uh, the conversation merits a response. So anyway, here are the four uh, beginning points of, of that conversation of why is there evil in the world. Oh, I should say too, none of these are going to um, resolve the emotional aspect of that question, right? These are sort of more, again, thought experiments or ways to talk about it rationally. It doesn't mean it's going to take away the pain of evil or difficulty or suffering in the world. I want to make that very clear, nor are any of these ways to be responding to those things in a pastoral way, right? Very often pastorally, whether you are a pastor or not, the way to respond to evil or suffering is simply to be present with someone. It's not to give them big explanations about why it happened. I hope that makes sense. Anyway, first way to think about it is um, God allows evil in the world to uh, bring about a greater good. And you might say, how is that possible? Well, let me give you just one example. Our daughter Sarah, I've talked about this before, has special needs. A few years ago she had to go undergo major surgery. She's nonverbal. She can't understand a lot of what's going on. She was scared to death when we took her to the hospital. She knew something abnormal, unusual was going on, and she was mad at us. <clears throat> we knew, though, that that suffering, if you want to call it that, of surgery was going to allow for uh, greater health in the long run. So that's one example. So that's the first point. God allows suffering to bring about a greater good. Second point um, is God gives us free will because God loves us. Uh, God doesn't want us to be automatons, doesn't, doesn't want to force us to respond to God's love. So God says, you can choose to love me if you want, all right? Which means we have the free will to make both good and bad decisions. And again, I'm not saying all the evil in the world can be explained using this, but certainly some of it can. So that's the second point. Third point, uh, I, I started this episode by referring to a passage from the Bible. Interestingly, the Bible does not assume that the presence of evil in the world uh, is incompatible with either the existence of God or the existence even of a loving God. I would challenge you to think of a character in the Bible um, who has not experienced suffering, right? And those characters, as a general rule, still believe in God and still uh, believe in a loving God and still take their complaints maybe about their suffering to that God. Job might be the best example of that in the Old Testament. And certainly in the New Testament, the story of Jesus is precisely of uh, God becoming like us in order to suffer with us at the extremities of suffering, right? So again, the Bible, uh, unlike maybe some modern philosophy uh, or rational approaches to thinking about God, makes no assumptions that God and evil are mutually exclusive. I hope that makes sense. Final thing, and this was part of what I uh, chatted about with my family member, is, you know, again, the question of why is there evil in the world, why do bad things happen to good people, is a totally fair and legitimate question. And as Christians, we do need to at least be aware of how to begin a conversation about that. Doesn't mean it's going to explain everything away. But an equally fair question would be the opposite question, which would be, and again, I would always want to approach this not in a snarky, snotty way, but uh, it might be, um, 
Fair question. I would challenge you, though, to, to answer the question, why should there be any good in the world? Have you ever, ever experienced anything like hope or joy or elation about something? Uh, and why would you think that you deserve those things? Are you so brilliant or kind or generous or good that you deserve uh, to have experiences of joy and happiness? And for that matter, why are you here at all? Did you, do you merit your own existence? And again, I'm not saying that that's going to explain away the problem of evil, but it's an interesting thought experiment, I think, to reflect on why are we so obsessed only on focusing on the bad or the evil when there's so much joy that happens in the world that none of us deserve. Okay, so that's four ways to address this. I will conclude by saying we are in the season of Advent. Uh, that happens to coincide in the Northern Hemisphere anyway with a time when the days become shorter and darkness comes around. And so Advent is filled with candles, right? The Advent wreath and so forth. Part of that is to remind us um, that the darkness never ultimately wins. Right? And the, maybe the most famous line and one of my most favorite passages from the Bible is from the prologue of the Gospel of John, where in verse um, 5 it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Right? Or in other translations, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So as Christians, despite everything bad that we could all talk about in the world, all the evil, all the suffering, despite all of that, we believe that ultimately hope triumphs, that light triumphs. And I pray that during this Advent season, all of us can be reminded of that. Thanks as always for being with me. Be well, stay in touch, and God bless. Mm -hmm.